Hey, New Life Church, Bronson Duke here. Thanks for listening in. The heart of our church is that you would know Jesus, that you would walk with Jesus, and you would learn how to live like he lived. We hope that this message equips you and empowers you on your journey walking with Jesus. This morning we have Pastor Kevin out of Searcy. Um, Bronson is out and speaking, and we are just so thankful to have you here. We just pray that you would do what God wants you to do here this morning. Let's give him a round of applause and welcome him down to downtown. Amen. So good to be with you guys this morning in downtown. I I grew up in this area. I I grew up not too far from here, about five minutes away, and went to school here, went to church here. And so uh, it's just anytime I'm I'm coming back to downtown, it it always feels like I'm I'm coming home. So uh, thank you guys so much for letting me be here. I love your pastors. Uh, Callie is so sweet. I can't say anything about Bronson. I have, I've been racking my brain for three days. What, what good can I say about Bronson? You know, but anyway, I, I love him too. I love being with him. Uh, we've been catching up a lot more lately than we have in the past several years. It's been fun hanging out. He always teaches me something, and it's always something that I don't need. You know, it's like, it's like he's got all this useless data that he just like dumps on you. And you're like, why do you even know that? You know, it's, it's so, so weird. But uh, I, I love hanging out with him. And uh, very sweet. You guys are blessed to have them as your pastors. So I want to honor them today. Um, I'm going to uh, talk about a topic this morning that has just been heavy on me for the past couple of months, probably. And uh, it's it's a a topic that I feel like, given our our culture and how the church has been trending and our responses uh, after, after a hard, hard couple of years dealing with COVID and the results of that, and uh, just what believers are now doing, um, I want to speak today about the awe of God, the awe of God. And so um, a few years ago, I went to Subiaco. Does anybody know where Subiaco is? Yeah, good. There's a, uh, an old monastery there, and uh, I decided my sister and her husband were youth pastors in that area. And so I decided I'm going to pull over in Subiaco, and I am going to take a tour of that place, right? And so uh, I'm by myself, and I pull over, and I go inside, and I'm greeted quickly. And uh, they said, uh, "What are you doing here?" You know, um, and I said, "I just want to look around. Can is there anybody here who can just take me on a tour?" And they were like, "Sure, we'll do that." And uh, I mean, it's like stepping back in time, you know. And uh, this this gentleman uh, came up to me, and he said, "I'm going to be your tour guide." And I began to ask him questions, and I said. How did you end up here? You know, why, why are, are you here? And he said, well, I, I am a, a Benedictine monk. And um, he said, I was going into the Second World War. And uh, I had a, a girl that I was in love with. And through the war, I came home and I asked her to marry me. And she turned me down. So I became a monk. <laughs> and I was like, man, that is some girl. You know, that, to change your entire life for that. And he became, get this, he became a typewriter repairman uh, for the school. That's how they, they, they paid him to repair. But anyway, he took me into the sanctuary, and it was very, very ornate. I mean, just these, these old woods and these ornate furniture and the acoustics and the stained glass. And they had an enormous 24-karat gold Jesus that hung from the ceiling, if you've ever been there. And uh, he, he told us it had been stolen three different times. 
and they found it every single time. I mean, Jesus always makes his way back, amen? And so this 24 karat gold Jesus had been, but these children were in there singing, and suddenly this, this very uh, ornate room became very holy. It was like this moment where you just wanted to kind of bow your head and absorb the moment, and it became sacred, and it became holy to me, and people started whispering instead of talking out loud, and I remember that moment because it felt as though that was the moment the awe of God came into a building. Now, we've experienced that many times in our church, and uh, you, you have too. Maybe in, in your lifespan, you've had all these moments and experiences where you felt the presence of God and the awe of God just, just come, and it doesn't even have to be in a church. It could be in your car. Um, it, it can be a lot of you, you know, unfortunately, you feel the presence of God while you're in the shower. I don't know how you do it, but it happens, and people say, man, I just have this moment with God, this awe of God. But the truth is, we can easily lose the awe in some things, right? We can lose the awe in some friendships. They become not as special as they used to be. Um, sometimes we can lose the awe of God's hand or voice on our life, and we forget because of the distance of time that has gone by. We forget what he told us when we, when we were teens or a promise he made to us in our 20s, and now we're in our 40s and things are just different. Um, sometimes you can even lose awe in your spouse. I mean, do you remember when you first started dating your spouse? You remember, you remember that? And you're, you would hold hands and your hands would be sweating, but you still held hands anyway? And uh, you would call each other and you would say, okay, let, let's hang up. And they would go, well, you hang up first. No, you. You hang up first. No, no, you. And, and it was just like you were just in awe of each other. Now, 23 years later, being married to my spouse, all I want is a text. I want you to just text me and tell me what's going on. And I want it to be about four words, right? Like, meet me for dinner at Colton's. That's it. That's all I want. I will text Robbie a paragraph and I will get back one letter. It'll say K. That's it. Okay, all, all the ooey gooey stuff is like over with, and sometimes you can just lose the awe that you have with people. But sometimes we can do the same thing with God. We have moments, we have seasons in our lives when we were in such awe of Him, but now we just want, you know, an, an hour-long service or just a moment or just like get to the point, Lord. Do, do what, what you want to do and let's go home, you know. And we can lose the awe of just the simplicity of being with him and feeling his presence and being refueled and refined. And this is not something that is new to our humanity. This challenge of and temptation to lose the awe of God has been a struggle for every single generation. If we look at church history, it's very clear, but if we go to Scripture, it's the same way. And sometimes even as pastors, lay pastors, volunteers, for those of you who serve this place and make all this happen this morning, this worship team, the people serving children and pouring coffee and parking cars and, and speaking and singing and leading and emceeing and working the sound booth. There are all these, all these things that we do to facilitate a service. However, we can be moving at such a pace that we forget why we're actually doing it. 
Bill Heibel had this great quote once, and he said, is the way you're doing the work of God destroying the work of God in you? It's like the pace in which you're going, the cadence at which you're living, the, the way you're serving, the way you're doing church, destroying the work of God in you. And for the sake of this message, I would say, is it, is it eliminating and dialing down the all that we have once experienced in God? I've got to do so much that I take uh, a moment away from just, just pausing and recognizing why we're here, who we're with why we want to serve God, why we want to give our life to God. And so today, I want to talk about how we can continue to capture the awe of God and keep him on the forefront of our mind. I want you to go to Ezekiel chapter 44 and 23 this morning if you have your Bible or Bible app. If not, we're just going to show it to you on the screen. But I'm going to read one verse as a text today, Ezekiel 44:23. Here it is. I'm reading from the NIV today. They are to teach my people the difference between the holy and the common. They're to teach my people the difference between the holy and the common. Now leave that verse up for just a second. What, what I want to extract from this is, is very simple. God is saying to them, you've got to regroup this people. And you've got to teach them that there are two very distinct things. There is a physical world. There are things that they're going to put their hands on. There are, there are things that they're going to fix and repair and build and dream about and imagine. And, and there's going to be a daily workflow. And those things are going to be very common to them. But there's also, he says, a, an aspect of your life that is holy. Let's call that uncommon. There's an aspect of your life that has to be captured by the spirit man inside of you. There's a part of your life that putting your hands on something or hearing it or tasting it or smelling it will not satisfy you. It's got to be chased after from the spiritual side of your life because it is holy and it is sacred and it is very uncommon. And God is telling him, you've got to teach the people. There's a difference. There's, there's a difference in what they're doing and who they're serving. There's a difference in what they're doing with their hands day to day to day and coming into the presence of God and just being with me. There's a difference. It's the awe of God. And so I want to start the conversation by putting us all on some common ground. This, this has always been a, a struggle. And so if we consider the children of Israel... That was a wild bunch there, right? And if we consider them, there was this, at one point, there's this pillar of fire that is over them. Now, theologians debate on exactly what it was for and what all the purpose was, but let's just minimize it today and say, at night in the desert, it was cooler, and this pillar of fire provided warmth, it provided direction, um, it was also, um, it, it was a piece to keep them knowing that they were not responsible to it. They didn't build it. They didn't create it. That God was on their side. It was this sign and wonder for them to realize whose people they were. But to them, it became common. It became just as common as the bread that had fallen. It became just as common as the water that came out of a rock. It became just as common as that healing was accessible. 
it, it became very, very common. So common that it was like you and I going out into our backyard tonight and seeing the moon. It was like, it just is what it is. It's this pillar of fire. God provided it. His sovereignty exists in it. And it's just something that, that we have. It became very dialed down to them. King Saul, in his day, priest and king worked in tandem. So there were things that the king took care of. There were things that the priest took care of. And one time, king, king Saul and the prophet were supposed to go out and they were going to sacrifice and the prophet was late, and so Saul is like, I'll just do it myself. I've seen this happen before. I know what he does. I've seen this thing a million times play out. So Saul segues into role of priest, and he performs the sacrifice, and God is angry with him. Because he says, listen, you have a role and he has a role. And what you've done is you have violated that. You have looked at that position as though it was common. You have looked at the sacrifice as though it was common. And you have put your hands on something that is sacred. But to him, he had seen it a million times. When the people of Nazareth in Mark chapter 6, Jesus is doing these amazing things and he comes home. And he is so bound by the disbelief in that community because to them, he's just Joseph's boy. He's just Mary's son. He's like, you know, hey, uh, we know who you are. I mean, you can't, you can't fool us. You're just Jesus. You're just the carpenter's son. I think you and your dad added on that camel garage for us uh, one time, and so now you're healing people. We, we're not sure that we believe that, right? It was very common. They had lost the awe of what could have been, and many, many miracles were depleted in that area. Their faith was so low, he, he couldn't even work there. Just amazing. They lost the awe. So let's move into the modern church. We come in, and I love NLC. I love our church. I love what we stand for. I love what God is doing among us. But sometimes we can have the tendency to come in. We check in our child. We get an ordinary cup of coffee. We sit in an ordinary seat. We sing what we believe to be ordinary songs. We shake hands with who we think are ordinary people. And the experience is in and out in an hour. And we're off to grab, grab lunch with our people. And we have not even taken a moment to just take it in the awe and presence of God. It's moved by us so quickly. I remember when we first started our campus in Searcy, it was nine years ago, and we were in a carpet store. And our sanctuary was about this size, and we started with a 10 o'clock service, and, and then we had to move to um, two services and then we moved to three services. And so we ended up having 8, 30, 10, 11, 30. And I will tell you, by the 11, 30 service, I had lost my mind. And so my mind was playing tricks on me. I would get up to speak to the 11, 30, and I would, I would think to myself, you, you just said that. Because I had already said it twice before. 
But my mind was like, no, you just said that like 30 seconds ago. And so I was always having conversation with, my, it, with myself as I'm trying to, to communicate. And so I would, would be talking. You've already said that. Hey, dummy, you just said that. Like you are repeating yourself. And then the exhaustion after doing that for 18 months would kick in. And I would think to myself in my heart, I don't think I ever said this to anybody else, but I said it to God many times. Why do we still have to do the 1130? Can't those people people just come to 10 o'clock, you know, and here's what happened. A simple example here. I had lost the awe for what God was doing and how he was ministering to people at that 1130 service. I just lost it. And so we can often lose things and the awe of God, the spiritual aspects of our lives and we don't do it intentionally, okay? Hear me. We barely miss the mark. It's like we're almost there, but we're not. It's not like, like we're far off, but it's just enough that we miss it, that we make our experience with God common rather than in, in awe of him. So the first talking point I want to talk about this morning is this. God has to be known, not just experienced, Okay. Now I grew up in churches that had revivals. Anybody else with me? Where's my Southern Baptist people? Y'all grew up having revivals too. Yeah. So we grew up having revivals and revivals were simply this. It was like a three or four night event in a row and you would have guest speakers come in and, and you would get your A worship team on, you know, you would get the best of the best. I mean, you'd really show out, right? And you'd get all the things and everybody would get their suits sent to the cleaners, and, and we, 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 it was like a big deal, and we would all come in for four nights in a row, and it was great because we would see each other, and we would sing a lot, and man, we would rededicate our lives back to God, and we would invite friends, and it was like this exciting thing. However, what we ended up doing was we were creating experiences of God, and the experience of God was leading the cart and so rather than us knowing God on an intimate level, I'm not talking about here, I'm talking about here, knowing him, we just wanted to create experiences. So our church culture ended up creating a need for experiences. Now, how that played out in our church was this. We had church every single night. So we had Sunday morning service. We came back Sunday night service. And did it all again. And then we had a Tuesday night prayer meeting. We had Wednesday night Bible study. We had Saturday night softball. And if you've ever played softball with Christians, you know you need Sunday to be the very next day so that you can come and repent. I've seen some crazy evangelism need to take place on a Saturday night softball game. But the conversation, if you remember in Matthew chapter 7 in verse 22... He says, many will say, but Lord, we did many good works in your name. In other words, we gave them an experience of you, right? We did a lot of good stuff for them. We fed them. We clothed them. We cast out devils. We, we healed people. We did a lot of things in your name. And he will say to them, but I never knew you. So experiences and knowing God are connected, but it depends on which one's the horse and which one's the cart. Which one are you leading with? Because if we create an atmosphere 
where God is only an experience, then our knowing God is limited by the people creating those experiences. Does that make sense? Let me give you an, an, an example. What I mean by is this. If your worship is driven by an experience, then you are dependent upon the giftedness of the team. But if your worship of God is driven by the knowledge that you have of him, the intimacy, the awe of God, it doesn't matter if there's one guy up here with a harmonica, you will worship God because you know him and you love him, right? In Ephesians 3, verse 10, he highlights the church. And I want to read that to you. It says this, his intent was that now... Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. This word manifold is exactly the way it sounds. It means many folds, many-sided, many-faceted, multifaceted. And he's saying, if you want to know more about God, we tend to look at God on, on this linear plane, this one angle, this one view, this one denominational look that you were raised in, and we see God this way. And he said, no, God is many-sided, many-folded. So when you think you've got him figured out, just flip it over. Just turn the page. Just, just get a new angle. Get a new perspective. And how do you do that? Through his church. Come to church. Be in his presence. Be around his people. Be in worship. Take communion. Be a giver, serve, get involved in somebody's life, meet a need, fall in love with the, with the presence of God and the awe of God. Do not let yourself fall into the temptation of just having an experience, but get to know him. Get to know him. The second thing, you cannot build a doctrine around a personal event. Sometimes we lose the awe of God because we have built a relationship with God about what has happened to you individually. All right? It's easy to view God as common if you're using your isolated event to filter who you think God is. Okay? Why? Because you're on this side of heaven. And on this side of heaven, everything's broken. And you're going to be hurt at some point in your life. And if you haven't been, buckle up because you will. You will get cold water at some point in, in your life. And if you allow it, you will build a doctrine around your hurt or around your trauma or around your brokenness. And it will become the lens by which you see God. And when you see God through a lens of hurt, then you will Give up the awe of God to embrace your anger and embrace your hurt. Last winter, I had the privilege of being with a family. And they had just lost an infant. And it was cold. And it was outside. It was in, in January. And so it was cold and it was windy and it was sad. And how the enemy will destroy you in a moment of loss and grief and deep hurt is he does not walk right up to you with horns and a pitchfork and a pointed tail and slap you in the face. What he does do is he gives you a whisper. And the whisper says this, God is ordinary. Look at what just happened. 
Look at the way you're hurting. Look at the way you are traumatized. Look at what's going on in your marriage. This is the whisper that steals the awe of God from you. So if you let your experience create a doctrine for you, you can quickly be be robbed of the awe of God. You must resist it. Because here's the temptation. For those of you who have not suffered, then you are looking at God through your own experience. And so God to you is a God of favor and blessing. And He esteems you. But to those who have suffered, and you look through the filter of that, then God can become a tyrant. And he's wringing his hands as he considers with creativity the next way that he can harm you. And so you're looking at God through your experience rather than standing upon his word that has gone from generation to generation to generation. One thing I do not let happen in my own faith journey is my personal experience dictate who I believe God is. I let faith and scripture lead my emotions, lead my thought life so that I do not lose the awe of God in a storm. Anybody with me today? Okay, third, let me. Growing up with God does not mean that you outgrow God. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, someone when they, I mean, when they just give their heart to the Lord. Man, we, we, we have a term for this. We say, man, that person's on fire, right? They don't just carry a Bible around. They, they, they go to grandma's and get the coffee table Bible. You know, you know what I'm talking about? The big fat one with a ribbon in it so thick you could wear it as a belt. They carry that thing around. I mean, they got a pocket full of highlighters. They've got the latest podcast downloaded. They are so fired up, man. They come, they're like, would they, would, you know, the, the Christians who've been saved 20 years are like, would you please just calm down? Don't be so on fire for God. You're making the rest of us look bad. Growing up with God does not mean that we outgrow God. Let me give you a great example of this. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, for 30 years, the Ark of the Covenant had been in one man's home. The symbol of the presence of God in the Old Testament, the physical, tangible presence of God, had been in one man's home just seven miles away from the capital city. For 30 years, there were people born who had never seen the Ark of the Covenant. But it was seven miles away. David becomes king, and David's got a new MO. And David said, I want to bring it home. It's time for the presence of the Lord to return to this city. Let's go get it. He puts together a Macy's-type parade. I mean, they're going, all the instruments are there, all the people are there. They're excited. They have, they have sold this. His vision is fiery, and he's saying, we are going to bring the presence of God back. And so it's in the house of Abinadab, and Abinadab is a priest. And the priest has two sons, Uzzah and Ahio. Aren't you thankful your name isn't Uzzah? Aren't you glad? And they were also priests. And as priests, they became responsible for the transportation of this ark back to to Jerusalem. And God had given them specific instructions long time ago on transporting the ark. He said it's got to be four people, and it's got to be on the shoulders of the priest on acacia poles. And that's the only way that I want you to move it. 
But instead, Uzzah and Ohio say, hey, let's back that cart up. We'll just load it up there. These guys got to be from my, my area of Arkansas, right? Hey, just back it up. We'll throw some hay under it. We'll throw a tarp. I got a good old tarp in the back. I've only used it twice. We'll throw it over there, and then you guys can haul it back with an ox. But you know what? That's not the way God wanted it moved. So while being transported, the oxen stumble and the ark shifts its weight and Uzzah puts his hand on it to steady it and heaven strikes him dead. Here's the problem. The ark had been kept in the house of Abinadab. Meaning this, Uzzah had grown up with it. It was just something that we kept in the back room. We've always had it. It's been here for 30 years. Me and my brother, Ohio, we used to run around it and play hide and seek. It's just, sometimes we even store our, our vegetables in here right, right next to it. So mama sends me in here occasionally to, to get some corn or some beans. And there it is. The presence of God. This was... The biggest problem is because he grew up with it and it became common. And some of us in this room, man, we grew up in Sunday school and we grew up on a, using flannel boards. I know that's so old, I'm sorry. But we grew up, you know, there, were, there weren't videos. You had to animate it, right? You had to make Joseph walk. You had to take that stone and actually roll it with your hand. I remember the smell of the church I grew up in. It was wooden pews, and we would, once a year, the week before Easter, we would oil them down. And I remember that smell. I grew up with it. And a lot of you did too. You grew up with the presence of God right down the hallway. And we know what, what happens here. This story plays out, and it's a sermon in and of itself. But I want, I want to read this one last verse, then I'm going to have, have you stand with me. As a matter of fact, go ahead and stand. David is going to challenge his entire generation to return to the awe of God. And so in Psalm 33, we capture this conversation. He says this, Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. He's challenging them. Let every single one of you. I want all you dads and all you moms and all you kids. I want every family under the sound of my voice to just stand in the awe of God, to recognize who he is. And 12 verses later, he says this. We wait in hope for the Lord because he is our help and he is our shield. And I love this because he's encouraging them. He says, there is a hope that comes from our God. And I think he's ministering to them. If you're hurting, there's a hope. If you've got a need, there's a hope. And we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help. But this is what I believe. Just as David chronologically laid, laid this out, it's the same for us today that you cannot stand in awe or you cannot wait in hope rather until you have first stood in awe. It's very difficult for you to go, he is my hope when you have lost the awe of him. 
Because then it's just lip service. I'm just saying what I think I need to say. But when we have stood in awe, and we have that moment like I had at Subiaco, or like you had at a camp, or a conference, or a Sunday morning, or in your car, or in your shower, and the world goes away and you feel them come, it's so easy for us to go, man, you're my help. The ever-present in the time of trouble. And I will wait on you. And that's my prayer for the church this morning. Father God, we love you today. Lord, there may be many in this room who have grown up with you right down the hallway. There may be many who have felt wiped out the past couple of years from just not being together as much and not knowing what to do, not knowing how to handle being in community. God, we we look at a song and we say, I've sung that a hundred times. We come to this building and maybe it just feels so common to us because it's part of our lives. We see it every day. God, would you bring the awe of the Lord to this room today? That I would see you with my spiritual eyes. That my heart would feel your hand on my life. I want more than a service. I want to know you. So God, we just wait on you for a minute. If you're there today and you're, you're, you're comfortable, can we just lift a hand just all around the building? And with your own mouth, will you just invite the Lord into this room right now? God, the presence of the Lord, we just want you here. You're just welcome in this place. Come on, church. Will you go with me for just a minute? God, right now in the room, just be here. Just be here. Just come to us. Just be in our church. Be here to minister to your people. Speak a word. Lift a burden. Change a life. Lord, for those of us that have been on this faith journey for years, will you just, will you just stoke the fire in there? Take those hot coals, Lord, and just, just stir them up. Rekindle somebody's life today, Lord. As we stand in awe of you. In Jesus' name. Hey guys, thanks for listening in. I hope that this message blessed you and it helps you in your journey with Jesus. If it did, leave a comment, leave a review. Things like that help us spread the message of Jesus. Uh, if you want to connect with us, the best way to do that is to follow us on Instagram at, at NLC Downtown Little Rock to follow along with the life of our church.